We're in lesson 18 of the study of Galatians. We're nearing the end of chapter 3. Paul is in the middle of his discourse on the Torah or the law, specifically the laws of the Torah. And it's easy to lose context of the letter and become bogged down in this discourse on the law. If you do that and you remove these verses from their context, it's easy to misunderstand Paul. You have to keep in mind that while the law is part of his argument because the misunderstanding of the law is certainly part of what he's dealing with, it is not the purpose of the letter. Remember, the reason for writing the letter is to address whether or not it's necessary for non-Jews to go through this traditional process of becoming part of the Sinai covenant through circumcision and adherence to the law, the same way a Jewish person would adhere to the law. The influencers say non-Jews must do this to be accepted into God's covenant people and to have fellowship with them. Paul, of course, is saying no. Non-Jews are part of the Abrahamic covenant through faith. And part of the promise given to Abraham is that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through faith as Abraham was. And so far he's shown us that they are part of the Abrahamic covenant through faith. So now his focus turns on the law. And the question is, is the law binding on a non-Jew as it is on the Jewish people? And are you justified and made part of the world to come by keeping the law. I pointed out last week that James Dunn in his commentary on Galatians explained that the church has read particularly this portion of chapter 3 in a negative light and they've used it to disparage the law. But that is not how it was intended to be read, not how it was, Paul wrote it. Paul is not disparaging the law because as we pointed out so many times before, Paul says this about the law in the book of Romans. He says, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. So that through the commandment, sin might be utterly sinful. Paul tells us that the law is holy, righteous, and good. So it would seem to me anyway that we must read this passage, chapter 3, as treating the law in the same positive light, being holy, righteous, and good. However, at the same time, we must understand that the law has limitations. The law is what it is and where we err is when we ascribe to it purposes for which it was not intended. When we apply portions of it to people for which it was not intended. However, as I said, that is not how the church, for the most part, has understood Paul's words. We take them out of context, we make them part of a topical sermon, and totally misunderstand what he's saying. So let's begin this week with verse 19. And it says... Then why the law? Because it was added in response to transgressions until the seed should come to whom the promise has been made. It was mandated through angels in the hand of an intermediary. An intermediary, however, is not, is not just between one, but God is one. And so Paul tells us why the law was given. It was given because of transgression. The law was not given to produce transgression. It didn't 
need to do that because the whole world was transgressing the laws of God in ignorance before the Torah was given. No, it it was not added to produce transgression, but as Paul said in Romans, to make us aware of the sin we were committing. Men sinned long before the law was given. If we look at the law, it says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? If we look at Genesis chapter 6, it says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. It was full of violence, and God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So the earth was full of violence. In other words, the strong taking advantage of the weak. So to love one's neighbor was not on the to-do list for most people. As the text says, the world was corrupt. Those who took advantage of the weak more than likely justified their violence and thought it was okay. It's just the way of the world. So God gives Israel the law. And the law tells us That it is a sin to treat your neighbor badly. So the transgression was nothing new. The law just made it plain that it was sin and unacceptable to God. With the knowledge that you're treating your neighbor badly was was sin. Then it became utterly sinful in that you no longer did it in ignorance. But now you knew you were doing bad. Right? The law made sin recognizable. The other purpose was to show how God was going to deal with sin, with the sins of men. We know how he dealt it in Noah's day. He brought about a flood. He gave the world the bath it deserved. After, after though, he gives the Torah. Then God deals with sin differently. The Torah tells us that if one sins unintentionally, he must offer an animal, a sin offering, without blemish. And so God says, a pure life, an animal without blemish, must be taken to atone for sin. Pointing the way to Yeshua's life given as atonement for the sins of the world. Then it says, it was given by angels through the hand of a mediator. Of course, who we know was Moses, right? Now people use this to, this phrase to teach that the law is inferior. Because it was given by angels and mediated by Moses. That's ridiculous. I can tell you that no Jewish person or influencer in the first century would have taken that statement in a negative light. God sent his angels and gave his law to Moses, the humblest man on the face of the earth. For the Jewish people, the most loved and respected man in the whole of the Torah was Moses. The law was given by angels, God's messengers. That's something to be celebrated. Not a disparaging statement, right? Angels in the Bible are God's messengers. They declare his holiness day and night. They see his face. The seraphim are about the throne of God, right? As an example, think about it. If you were visited by an angel tonight and he gave you a message from God, would you think that that experience was special? (laughs) Of course you would. And that's how Paul expects us to see this statement. Right? Listen to some of the things that are said of angels. Psalm 103 verse 20 says, Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones, who do his bidding... 
and obey his word. Praise the Lord, all heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. You see, they're the mighty ones. And notice it says, who obey his word. They're his servants who do his will. When they give his word, it's as if God spoke it himself. Here, listen to Psalm 91, verse 11. It says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all that all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you're that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The angels are guardians sent by God to minister and to minister to Messiah. Remember, this is one of the phrases the devil used against Messiah. Let's read an, let's read a, another passage about the angels. Revelations chapter five. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They sang worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory and praise. The point being that the giving of the law by angels was a huge thing. It was a positive thing. It's sad, though. That often that those in the church, when they read this, they see it as God laying a trap for Israel. Like I said last week, God's laying a trap for Israel by giving them the law. Listen to what Dunn, he quotes some commentaries on this passage. I thought it was pretty good, so I put it in here. He says, however, the reference to angels taken in conjunction with the typically negative understanding of the previous clauses has made it possible to read the final clause even in more negative terms. A categorical denial of the divine origin of the Torah, that was written by Drain, the law is a product of demonic angelic powers, written by Hubner, and on the way to a Gnostic understanding of the law. You see, you read this and you wonder, what Bible are these guys reading? Right? They actually say, It's a denial of the divine origin of the Torah. Have they ever written that the ten words were written by the finger of God? How can what is holy, righteous, and good, as Paul says of it, be the product of demons? Now, granted, these are exceptional statements, and I doubt whether you're going to hear the average pastor of today say anything like this. These are exceptional statements and... and, uh, But I want to say that the negativity of these statements is not out of the norm. While you may not hear a person say that law was a product of demons, it is exactly the way a lot of Christians treat the law. You tell Christians that you're keeping the Sabbath and they act as if you just consigned yourself to hell with with the demons. Right? They may not say it, but that's the way they think of it. Paul is not disparaging the Torah, nor is he denying its divine origin. The Torah is God's righteous standards. The problem comes when you use the Torah for something that it was not intended for. Right? Take my little Honda convertible. It's a really nice car. It's a good car. It's a fun car. It gets me where I want to go. It gets good mileage. But if I try to drive it into the lake to go fishing, I'm going to have a problem. Because it wasn't designed to be a boat. (laughs) Right? Well, that's what Paul is saying. The Torah is holy, righteous, and good if you use it for the purpose that God intended it for. Right? 
That's how he opened this whole statement. Listen to, to the to verse one of chapter three. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Messiah was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn from you just one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning in the Spirit, you're now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Paul is not disparaging the Torah. He's not lessening the value of the Torah. He's merely explaining that they were using the Torah for something that it was not intended to be used for. The law was not given for justification. If it had been, as Paul said, Messiah wouldn't have had to come. The law was given to make you aware of sin and to lead you to the remedy for that sin so that you might have your years of life on this earth, a life that's pleasing to God. Messiah sets you free from the bondage of sin so that you can live for God. But that living for God brings you right back to the Torah because the Torah is God's instruction for obedience in this life. Paul is not disparaging the Torah. He's giving it the honor it deserves. He's saying God did not just give his Torah to anyone to deliver. No, he gave it to the angels that attend him day and night to deliver. He did not just give it to any man to mediate. He gave it to Moses, the humblest man on the face of the earth. So humble that none of himself remains, but only the words of God. Sadly, though, the mediation was then passed to other men who weren't so humble. And this is the problem that Paul's facing. You see, the Torah, the law is holy, but men aren't holy. So the law mediated by men can be twisted. God's law should be mediated by God, by the Spirit of God. Living by the law should be done by living by the Spirit of God, which you receive not through the law, but through the promise. The law is the promise that was given by God. The promise brings life. Listen to what, or what Paul says next. Is against law. The law then is against the promises of God. Far be it. For if there had been a law given which had the power to bring life, most assuredly righteousness would have been from the law. I want to read Dunn's commentary again on this passage because he really captures the essence of what I'm trying to say. He does it much better. Is the law then against the promises of God? A fair question. But Paul replies in his usual indignant rebuttal of his own rhetorical question, not at all. The response indicates clearly that Paul would deny the very antithesis between the law and the promise, which so many infer from verse 20. On the contrary, the role of the law is consistent with, integrated into that of the promise. Again, Paul is explaining the purpose of the law by itself. And when viewed and used properly, it is not opposed to the promise. The law was given to aid and bring about the promise. The promise was given first, then the law given as an aid to bring about the promise. The influencers have got the cart before the horse. They're teaching that the promise is contingent upon the law rather than the law being an integral part of the promise. 
The law is part of the promise as it speaks of how God will justify men so that they can have life with him through the Messiah. Paul says in Romans chapter 10 that Messiah is the goal of the law, or if I, if I say it as David Stern says, the goal or the target at which the law aims is the Messiah. Justification that the Torah teaches of is found in the redemption that the Messiah brings. The Torah doesn't speak of eternal for obeying its precepts, but the Torah speaks of living life to the fullest in the kingdom of God on earth. Right now, it speaks of living a life by the principles so God can bless you and dwell among his people on earth. So Paul says it doesn't have the power to bring eternal life. The only way to ensure life in the world to come is to be justified before God. And the only way to be justified is through the redemption of Messiah Yeshua. The law, while it did not bring about justification, pointed to the one who would. It was the goal of the law to lead you to Messiah and to redemption. So if I say... The law was given so that God could come here and dwell with his people in this life. The promise of and the redemption through Messiah was given so that you could go dwell with God in his kingdom. The writer of Hebrews makes this really clear. He says in chapter 10, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If they would not, would they not have been stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have cleansed once and for all, and no one no longer would have felt guilt for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away The law was given not to make those who followed it perfectly, uh, give those um, eternal life. Granted, by following it, you can live a perfect life, but it didn't make you perfect, right? It foreshadowed the one who would and the method that God would use, but it did not make you perfect. The whole of the Yom Kippur service For the sins of Israel was a reminder of sin. The Torah doesn't make us sin. We do a good enough job of that ourselves. Right? I don't need any help. (laughs) Right? But it exposes our sin. And it teaches us that God has a remedy for that. He has a remedy for that sin. Now ask yourself, is that a bad thing? That we should treat the law as if it came from demons? Absolutely not. The law then serves as a teaching to teach you to walk through life in a manner pleasing to God. Faith in the promised Messiah gives you life in the world to come. That when used properly is holy, righteous, and good. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. The public reading of scripture was done on the Sabbath day in the synagogues. And Paul tells them, devote yourselves to it. Remember that when he says scripture, he's talking about the Torah and the prophets because the gospels aren't even written yet. 
Again, he says to Timothy, all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. These are not the words of a man who does not value the Torah. These are the words of a man who knows the true purpose of the law. To strengthen your faith in the Messiah and to keep your walk on the true path God would have for you. To teach you of what is good so that you may perform every good work. John was a man who understood the value and the purpose of the law. He says this in 1 John chapter 3. But we know that when Messiah appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We're justified in Messiah through our hope, through our trust in him. We're purified, justified, and when he appears, we're going to be like him. Notice what he says next. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known Sin is lawlessness. The absence of the law in one's life. Understand that those in the church promoting and allowing gross sin don't know the Messiah. Nor have they ever seen him. If they had seen him, they would have fell down at the sight of him and repented for their sin. They would have got up and gone away so ashamed of their sin that they would have gone away and sinned no more. I'll tell you something else. Those pastors and theologians who are calling gross sin okay may have gone to the finest cemetery, but I'm telling you they're on their way to a permanent if they don't repent. When you see those who have sat in the pew next to you leave to go to orthodoxy, the truth is they never knew Yeshua. When you see people leave the faith, they never knew him. Those who get caught up in adultery never knew him. Let's read on. He says this, dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know we are the children of who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So the law is holy, righteous, and good, and following it will make your life holy, righteous, and good, but it was not given to make you holy, righteous, and good. Messiah Yeshua was given to make you holy, righteous, and good. The law, however, as he says, mandated through angels at the hand of an intermediary. An intermediary, however, is not just between one, but God is one. You see, the law is not faulty. It was not the words of the law that was faulty, but it was the mediation that was faulty. And we can see this in the words of Yeshua. Listen to the words of Yeshua on on the Sermon on the Mount. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife 
must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Yeshua says, it has been said that you can give your wife a certificate of divorce. Not only has it been said, it's been written. Deuteronomy chapter 24 says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from her house, his house, and if she marries, and if she leaves his house and becomes the wife of another man. You see, it was, it was acceptable to give your wife a certificate of divorce. The problem was, the rabbis, some of the rabbis determined that you could do it for something as simple as burning dinner. That's displeasing to you, right? Yeshua says, only in the case of adultery can you send her away. You see, the mediation of the law is what was faulty. So, the contrast here is not the law is bad and faith in Messiah is good. That's not the contrast. That is not what Paul is teaching. Paul is teaching that the Torah is holy, righteous, and good, and it will keep you from sin and will teach you of the Redeemer. But the promise is better in that it was spoken by God and it was given first and cannot be set aside. Not only that, it had no mediation involved. God spoke it personally with no ifs, ands, or buts, so it's a done deal. He added no ifs. He did not ask anyone if it was okay. He just spoke it. And from the day he promised Abraham, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It was yes and amen. And you're sitting here in the pews today because it is yes and amen. amen. Galatians 3.22 says, But scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Yeshua might be given to those who believe. Again, the law shows that the whole world is sinful and prisoners of that sin. The law didn't make you a prisoner. You did that. The law just exposed your sin. The law didn't make you a prisoner of sin. You made yourself a prisoner of sin. The law teaches of the one who can set you free from prison. The promise spoken before the law that the law and that the, and that the law is an integral part of releases you from that prison. But without the promised Messiah and the Spirit of God, we remain prisoners of sin. So much a prisoner that those who know the law exposes sin are continually redefining what God meant just to just to justify their sin and relieve their guilt. And that is where we see the church today, redefining the law and thereby redefining God to fit into their sinful lives. Well, the fact is, God left their building long ago. He left because he won't tolerate sin. He'll forgive sin, but he won't tolerate sin.